Hello, good morning, and welcome to Raider Nation Radio. It's the morning tailgate here on RNR 920 on this Friday. Vinny Bonsignor, Lindsey Brown, I'm Clay Baker. We're all here. Hit us up on the text line at 702-365-9200. That's also our phone number, as we are also on X at RNR 920 AM. Good morning, everybody. How are we? Hello. End of the week. Tis true. Thank goodness. Oh, my gosh. Thank goodness. I need the weekend, especially after watching parts of that hockey game last night. Yeah, Absolute that was, debacle. That was a ramrod right in the a, first period. A ramrod? <laughs> Four nothing. What? And you're like, you're like, okay, what, how bad could this get? Literally, <laughs> I was like 10 minutes late tuning in, and I got there, and it was already three rip, and Aiden Ooh. Hill was pulled. Yeah. And I already knew that that was going to be a rough night in the post-game <laughs> comments for the goalies, likely, because uh, it was rough the game prior about the goalies. And so yeah. there's some issues with that team right now, and they were on full display last night uh, against the offensive juggernaut that is the Toronto Maple Leafs. But as Vinny was asking me before the show, do the Leafs have a team? Are they legit this year? No. No. They just know how to score goals. They'll make get through one round, and then they'll go into the abyss. Oh, like you break my heart when you say Why? that. Why? You she like just, the Leafs because uh, of proximity? I want, I'm, I'm, I'm sentimental. I want them to yeah. like uh, get close and be competitive to I try to too. win. Why? And, and Are you like, a wings fan? I am, but now I'm, 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 I'm like, I can't stand to see the suffering that's going on in Toronto oh, and all Leafs fans. Because it. Maple Leaf fans are now becoming apathetic, and that's weird. I don't, I don't, I'm just not, that's not my universe. They're supposed yeah. to be angry and feel like they have a chance every year, as delusional as it might be, but they're not like that right now. I would love one of the originals, especially one of the originals from Canada to win one. Yeah. No, no, we are dominating Canada right now. They don't want to come in damn near 30 years. We're dominating Canada with Canadian players. Damn right. (laughs) Damn right. No, I I do. I I have a little soft spot for Toronto and kind of for the same reasons that that you do. So that's going to be my team. I'm going to root for the Toronto uh, uh, Maple Leafs. They have tried everything. You know, they have, but none of it is landing. None of it's working over the past 20 years. I think of all the experiments they've tried with coaches, GMs, youth movements, veteran-laden movements. It's all come to one big fiery pile in but, the But the they're good park. right now. Like, <laughs> theoretically, they're good right now, right? They're great at scoring goals. Oh, they are. Number 34 is great at scoring goals. That's Austin Matthews. He's an American. He's magic. He's an American. Where is he from? Arizona. Oh, yeah, that's the Arizona guy. That's right. That's yeah. Great. I, he I knows it. Hockey expert over there. Yeah, I did. I did. Because uh, <laughs> doesn't he have, like, a whole bunch of... I forget what it what. I saw something on Twitter. And I was like, "Who's this guy?" You know, and uh, Arizona—that's cool. That's what we were talking about. Like in, in states like California and Arizona, mm-hmm. and, and here, the amount of—I know that there aren't as many rinks, obviously, as as in Minnesota. But I know that as I got older, there were more rinks that were being built in California. For sure, it's it's which it's so the access out. to sport to that sport became more prevalent. A lot of that goes to uh, you know the Gretzky factor coming to California and. I was there. I saw it in real time, and people got jazzed about it, you know, and uh, and more kids started playing it. So you go to the Kings facility. That's where um, they have open rinks for leagues. It's mm-hmm. just packed all the time. Yeah, same it with City National. All the time, mm-hmm. so. it's, it's wild with practices. It was one of the weirdest things when I moved here uh, to show up. I, I've been to very few NHL practices, but I'm guessing not a lot of them would have full stands. Oh, and, and that's never. what was here and at yeah. times is here. I don't know if that will be it's this a great week. great idea. Full stands, chanting, right. music, yeah. all that stuff. That's how the Kings – I wonder if they took a page out of the Kings because that's their facility was like that. I'd never seen anything like that. But I, then again, I'd never really been to a hockey um, – Practice it helps to win. It helps to have oh, uh, that kind of support, uh, especially like eleven o'clock on an, in a morning. You know, mm-hmm. eleven a.m. 
right? And these Correct. practices would People be like work and wind going to up. school. <laughs> So Play crazy. a little bit of early hooky. We love yeah. it. We love it. You know, and some of the kings uh, factor into like maybe the prevalence of more hockey arenas in this part of the country, Southwest, for sure. example, because of Luke Robitaille. He's got like this. Um, he's on a patent to create uh, ice a lot quicker and more efficiently by you know extrap- you know just like <laughs> absorbing all the moisture in the air at any time instead of like the old rink models that would take forever to you know to melt and then what? refreeze. So Robitaille is kind of like, it's been somewhat revolutionary. I haven't heard of this. Yeah, it's helped kind of like make hockey arenas. Possible. Yeah, more affordable. Well, and there's there's fake ice too. There's these things called uh, skating treadmills, which are just like treadmills, but they have this particular type of plastic on it so you can skate on it, so you can work on your stride, work on your power. I did that with my dad for years when he was unemployed. We would just go after school and just train. Oh, they build you up. Grind yeah. And grind and work move. on shooting mm-hmm. and, and, and and just refine your, uh, your your stride and everything else. But you can put that down on your floor in your basement <laughs> and, yeah. and, and train that way. Now, it's not the same uh, feel. It's not the same texture, but you're going to float around and be able to work on stuff in the same uh, manner. Uh, yeah. And so it and a lot of that is just enough to get to that uh, level of development where you're you're building those skills that can translate well on the ice, the real ice anyway. This town could use like some more of that, though. It's funny because like even one of the rinks was attached to one of the uh, properties that got torn down by the stations, you know, mm. Texas Station yeah, and Fiesta yeah, over Sobe, on Rancho. Sobe Life Water. Sobe yeah, I Life was Water, researching right? every damn rink in this town when I was trying to set up a tournament like six years ago. And that I think I, we had ice yeah. there. Yeah, and it's, it's rough, man, because you're yeah. trying to find ice time in the one place that was uh, you know kind of like you know helping a certain region of the city. It was like now we got to tear it all down. Yeah. So, so like uh, if anybody wants to get involved, like get in the ground floor, uh, get in with a consortium of mo- owners, and you know start building some new ice rinks and some ice sheets. But there you go. too with the, with the Maple Leafs as the example, and and just kind of like thinking about it overall sports because there's such a movement towards offense, whether that's basketball, hockey. I mean, we're seeing point totals just rocket up in every single aspect. Does that win? Like, does the, does the offensive model well, and the growth that we've seen actually win? Because if you look at the chips, nope. if you look at how things change in the postseason, each sport has its nuance. Well, um, we have to. There's two sides to that argument. From the league's perspective, mm-hmm. see, that's what the why do you what, you know the the rules for offense. You look at the NBA. We were talking about the Michael Jordan rules. It was a different time then. I'm not trying to be the old guy on the. Different it was punishment. literally a different time, a mm-hmm. different way of playing basketball. And you know, then you had the Pistons. I know that you're you're well aware of that they brought a lot. They they're like, okay, this is how we can play. This is how we're gonna play. And then the Knicks took it to almost another level with Pat Riley and his and his group. And you started having all these 86 to. 83 games, right? And the, the the NBA decided, I don't know if this is what we want. Let's take out the hand check. Let's take out, you know, some of the rules and, and the physicality to because we think our fans want to see more offense. And I'm mm-hmm. sure the NHL th- decided that too. I remember. We want to, we want sellies. Yes, exactly. And to me, it goes a little bit overboard. I think when you look at today's NBA game, I, I love the athleticism of it all. But it's so easy to get to one point to the other to get your open shot, and mm-hmm. and that's why the three point play has been you know uh, so so prevalent because it's easy to free guys up now. You're not you're not in danger, and I I it's in danger in, in quotes like in a sports sense of getting leveled, of getting bodied, of getting you know um, uh, pushed around. I, I I think it needs to go back to that a little bit more. Um, 
because it's just it's just too easy, and it becomes kind of boring after a while watching the same kind of play, the same kind of systems, the same kind of you know you. It's just it's not fun to me, and I don't know if it wins championships in hockey. I, I really don't know, but probably because games get that's the other part of it. Games get officiated differently in the playoffs than they do in the regular season, and I'm sure hockey. Go, Hell yeah, oh it my is. god, it's a different season. All right, so why are we? Well, yeah, why are we building the model towards it? To only to go let it. You know, just and, and the regular season doesn't your... matter, Clay. Either that's the other weird thing is like, well, it doesn't matter, but we're we're building our entire team and an image around regular se- what works in the regular season. If it can be uh, harnessed in the regular season, you think it would translate into the playoffs? It doesn't. It just doesn't. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs are a totally different animal, and everybody is revved up to play defense and. You would have to find like, all right. I love the fact that let's say Toronto, for an example, is on a on a, on a streak to score a lot of goals, but they will still need to find a defensive minded head coach to go and make sure that everybody stays back to play defense when it turns around for the playoffs. And you know what? It, right now, they're just not a model that's going to make it. I I would love to see it, but yeah, and they don't have goaltending. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, is it is it defense or goaltending for them? Uh, because it, is it a combination of both? Well, uh, or, because, are we talking about Toronto or the Golden Knights? Because uh, well, that also could be talked okay, about. Okay, let's as talk well. about the Golden Knights because for me, I see a lot of defense uh, uh, lapses. I, I see some errors on well, defense that wasn't there last year. Yeah, well, here's my working theory about because this isn't something that has just shown up in the last couple weeks. Like, I know that I haven't been in the rink as much as I, I used to be, but I, two months ago, a lot of the bones of what is what, what were very much on display. And this is what happens when a lot of injuries go down, right? Okay, yeah. And and I think the other night when Shea Theodore returned after weeks off, that was only the second game this season that their entire you know core of defensemen, all six, mm. were available to them. And this is one of the best defensive cores in the league. Wow, and with it's already the, like almost February's almost over, right? And with that in the back of your mind, and the other injuries that have been sustained by this team, and and the run that they went on in the spring. When scoring dries up, when inconsistency happens, where does that get picked up in today's day and age in the league? Defensemen. Defensemen are supposed to be the the offensive defensemen. They're supposed to block all the pucks. They're supposed to, they are the ultimate tweener type of players. They are the ones with the most responsibility. And when this team struggles, just like they did two years ago when there was a lot of injuries, who was the one that had to lead the charge? Number seven, Alex Petrangeli. He plays the most minutes on that team in almost every single situation because he's that guy. He's that guy. He's the alpha. He'll tell you. He acts like it. He plays like it. He's earned that designation. But he's also a human being. And if you're constantly trying to worry about, I got to get this breakout done and then I got to get down the ice because I'm going to jump up in the rush because he loves to jump he up in the rush. He loves to be a part of yep. and, and then I got to get back and make sure I have a good gap. There's only so much energy. There's almost, only so much time in a shift. And there's only so much sustainability to that model. And so the net front has been a disaster. They're not clearing out bodies, so uh, sometimes those rebounds are getting are get getting got to, and then more specifically with the netminders with this team, there are some issues, and where the pucks are coming from on the ice where they're being shot from are creating issues because of the stylistic uh, specificities that our goaltenders play with. A lot of mid-range shots are going in. Yes, because mm-hmm. you know what they're good at—shots from the point because they usually get blocked or tipped, or and, it, and they're back of the net so they can react to do it, or in tight because I've already cut down the angle. If you're getting them in transition, if you're getting them with a little bit of a gap from distance, you are going to be testing the not only the reads but the blades. And this is why I say to people in the NHL and shooters where this next uh, wrinkle is going to be—it's not 
getting the puck from east to west. It's going north-south and catching the goaltender before they set their edges, and so they can't really make the save that they're meant to do. You yeah. get them off time, and that's what's and happening anytime you have injuries, it's going to affect connectivity, chemistry. So you're, and, and usually, it's not like you're, 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 you're reaching down in the minor leagues um, and, and replacing guys with the same level player. It's going to be a less of a player, unless you know you got some phenom down there that— you know, is is ready to is ready to get called up. So and a lot of draft picks in the phenom for, for yeah, this farm so system. So it right makes now. a lot of sense that when you start when you start digging deeper into your the depth of your organization, you're not always going to be able to bring up guys that are are as good. So there's going to be uh, a little bit of a fall off. So, um, and if we want to bring that to, to the Raiders, yeah, it's it's interesting that you should bring that up because um, or just the, the injury factor and. You know who you can rely on, and mm-hmm. going into your depth chart, and I think the Raiders do have a big question with Josh Jacobs in that regard, um, because of the the money, and he's a free agent. Do you franchise tag him? I don't think that that's necessarily feasible, given how much it costs. But it's very interesting about Josh Jacobs because on one hand you say, yeah, definitely bring him back. It's Josh Jacobs. He led the league in rushing two years ago. I know there was a down year last year, um, but is it as no-brainer as you think, when we've visually seen and have evidence of a backup to him coming in and actually, for a four-game stretch, outplaying him uh, from based on what he had done, pre, uh, the, the what, whatever, however many, 11 games that he had played mm. up until that point or 13 games that he had played up to that point. So that Zamir White factor plays large in the decision because if you feel you have a, a, a capable backup at a fraction of the cost, that really becomes compelling for the Raiders not to give Josh Jacobs. Kind of like the, the goalie discussion in the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. To be honest, you do it by committee and, and go cheapy, or do you try to find a one A? And it's you not necessarily. It yeah. It's not a committee. He, I think Zamir White can be the guy. It's, I mean, committee where you're not paying someone top dollar to be the guy. You have guys yeah, that you are just getting, have a younger. Correct. It's just because the, the hockey salary caps are rigid and you can't move yeah. stuff around. And you could you could really put yourself in a big hole if you pay too much at one position and it's not working out. Mm-hmm. And you could be uh, really in the backside of that. And so for the Raiders, when we talk about offense and and defense for hockey, for example, the Raiders' defense is very strong right now in a way that it looks like it's going to get even better in the another year under Patrick Graham but we'll take a break we'll come back I'm more on the Josh Jacobs like as far as like uh, money allocated money spent versus the production that you're going to get let's take a real examination of that as well as Amir White all that and more it's Raider Nation Radio Lindsay Vinny and Clay let's go Maybe the op- maybe the reps weren't there. The opportunities for carries. I don't think we hit the twenty number for them. That you know that's our kind of goal for all our backs. Um, but what I saw was a physical runner, somebody that was moving a pile, that was straining for to get every inch, every foot, every yard he can get. Productive in a passing game, uh, pro- productive in a uh, pass pro as well. Um, and when you say audition, I, you know, every day is audition. That's- There's the snap on second and four. Handoff to Zamir. Cuts to the right side. First down, 35. First 40. Down the 50. Near side, 40. 35-30. And Zamir White might have just salted away a Raiders win. He's brought down at the Chiefs' 25-yard line on a 44-yard pickup and a first down for Las Vegas. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Raider Nation Radio. Raiders Radio Network coming back and... You know, you get the the tale of uh, two running backs, and one in which, you know, Zamir White, that last one where he ices the game on Christmas Day, 
against Kansas City. And then the play previous with Josh Jacobs, as uh, Jason Horowitz noted, like that's by far his biggest run of the year. Wow, that was way late in the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that's the stuff that kind of sits Quite with Quite a moment to have it, too, especially when everybody knew what the play was, right? They knew they were going to run the Josh ball. For the Josh or the... Um, for for Zemir. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, and yeah, that's, that's true because you know Aiden wasn't throwing the ball in that no. game. No, <laughs> it was the, uh, Antonio and I had a, uh, had an exchange after that. It was uh, I know that you know that you know that I know that you know that I'm going to run this right here, and I'm confident we're still going to win. And they ran and they they busted <laughs> it was a fifty something yard run. That was pretty cool actually uh, being there that that day. But yeah, I mean you know we go back a, a year ago and and. Um, I, Loosely have not loosely more than loosely uh, have uh, a really good idea of what the Raiders were offering. You know, uh, Josh Jacobs last year, and it was fair. It was it was more than fair. Um, there was a little bit of a glitch on um, from how it was explained to me on uh, when exactly certain parts of the deal were going to be guaranteed because of you know not every, everyone's cash flow is a little bit different. The way it just. Each organization works a little bit differently, but the fact of the matter is um, he would have been guaranteed a, a, a pretty nice little uh, sum of money within about a year of signing the deal, right? So um, agent said no, um, and that's his right to do that. But, you know, even at the time, it was, man, just talking to people around the NFL, like the way these things can 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 go, um, there, first of all, there's no guarantee that he's going to produce like he produced in 2022, 1,600 yards. Uh, there's there's no guarantee even if he does that that same offer is going to be on the table this time next year. Um, so he there's a risk involved, you know, and obviously the agent and Josh understood what that risk was. But when you look back at what actually did happen, it couldn't have gone any worse for Josh Jacobs. Number one, he had less than half of his uh, his his 2023 yardage was less than half of what he did in 2022. He gets hurt. Opens the door for Zamir White, and Zamir White, Zamir White was the third best running back yardage-wise over those last four games of the season. His per yard carry was third best in the league in those four games. That's not nothing. That's not insignificant. He was given the opportunity to play and to play a lot. Finally, the first time in his career, and he knocked it out of the park. So, if you're Josh Jacobs, you're looking at. A, a, a season that wasn't even close to what it was the year before that when he had all the leverage in the world, got hurt, his backup kind of outplayed him if you look at what the statistics were. So now where do you go if you're Josh Jacobs? And where do you go if you're the Raiders in terms of you want to bring him back? I know Antonio Pierce wants to bring him back, but what are you willing to give Josh Jacobs at this point? Knowing that you might have the you know uh, his, his uh, uh, more than capable backup, to come in and step up and be the number one running back in Zamir White at $980,000, by the way. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about uh, where he's market valued, at least when it comes to, to sport track. And to your point before the show as well, that doesn't, some of the nuance is lost in that website, yes. how things are paid out. But in terms of getting a nice round number, they provide that to us a four year, $42,721,176 value for Josh Jacobs with an average salary of $10.6 million. I. And I that that is not a number that I'm willing yeah. to, to, to live with. A number that I would like him to be at is eight. Okay. Eight for eight mil per year. And again, I'm not gonna get into all the nuance because I don't understand all the nuance, but I understand eight mil per year. That that's a haircut for him, a considerable haircut for him, but it's also 
higher than a lot of what the market is valuing for his position. And given his performance this past year and the non-guarantee that yeah. whatever 2021 was, or if you want to go back to 20, 2019 in his rookie year, like there's never a guarantee for anything, right? And, and so I'm comfortable at eight, but I don't know if Josh. Yeah, and I'll try to I'll try to add some of the nuance yeah. to it real quick. Um, and uh, it it it's, it it always sounds complicated, but it really isn't that complicated. And uh, and Clay, you can help me. You're you're the better at math than than I am, so I might le- have to lean on you. But let's use Jonathan Taylor as an example, mm-hmm. all right, of, of more than capable running back, one of the best running backs in the league uh, when he's out there and playing. So last year, at this time last year, Jonathan Taylor was going into the last year of his rookie contract, right? And so uh, there was a little bit of back and forth, you know, and uh, is he is he not going to sign, you know, is he going to play this year, you know, all that. Uh, he and the Colts ultimately agreed on uh, what amounted to a three-year extension, all right? Uh, for uh, it's like thirty, it was forty forty-two million dollars, three-year extension for forty-two million dollars. But keep in mind, he was already on the books for twenty twenty-three, so this was an extension for twenty twenty-four, twenty twenty-five, twenty twenty-six, and twenty twenty-seven. But if you look at the, here's the nuance of that. Okay, you hear a three-year extension, so it becomes a four-year deal, forty-two million dollars, kind of like what you're talking about with mm-hmm. with Josh Jacobs. Uh, but when you read between, when you read the fine print, this is what it ended up being. So at signing last year, this time at signing, Jonathan was guaranteed twenty point three million dollars, and that represented his, the remaining portion of his twenty twenty three salary, a ten million dollars signing bonus, and um, his twenty twenty four salary, this year's salary, plus all of his twenty twenty four game bonuses. All right, mm-hmm. so basically, at at signing, he's guaranteed twenty twenty point three million dollars to cover twenty twenty three and all of twenty twenty four. Right. Also, uh, more than half of his twenty twenty five salary we were in twenty twenty four, but more than half of his twenty twenty five salary now becomes guaranteed in about a week and a half. That's seven point five million dollars. So basically, it's it, and 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 so. We we all believe that he's going to get that bonus or he's going to get that guarantee. So if you extend that part of it to it, whether he plays in 2025 or not, let's say he gets hurt this year, God forbid, that doesn't happen. But if he does get hurt um, and can't play again, he would have made over 20, the 2023 season and the 2024 season – uh, Thirty some odd million dollars when you, or twenty seven million dollars mm-hmm. when you add the the seven point five that he's going to be guaranteed in March uh, seventeen. So for two years, if he never plays again, twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four, he will have collected twenty seven point five million dollars. You do that, you half it. That's about just a little over thirteen million dollars a year. I would have to think for running backs, that's a, those, those are good numbers because you're not guaranteed. Uh, longevity, you know, uh, in your later 20s or even in the early 30s. So, if, like, if you're, you don't want to be thinking about, hey, I got to keep playing until 2025 or whatever. Get that money now. If he gets, if he because, does play in 2025, it basically turns into a three year, $33 million deal. Yeah, right. So it goes down a little bit, the average, your average salary. Mm-hmm. But, but that's what the, that's what the nuance is. When do I get the money? Right. When do I get the money? Forget about yearly average salary, which is important. I'm not for sure. Discounting but that's that. where it's if they pay out most of the money and then you still have that third year on the contract. Well, technically, I don't have to pay you anymore. That adds to your level of expendability, right. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And that's that. Once that twenty-seven million dollars is 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 guaranteed, and you know that he's going to get that regardless. 
once that then it becomes a pay as you play go type of a deal. So mm-hmm. the rest of his 2025 salary is predicated on him playing in 2025. If he doesn't, the Colts can walk away with very minimal damage to their heart. They won't owe him any more money after that $27 million. Okay, so you look at Jonathan Taylor, and that that, that could be a pretty decent model to go on uh, if Josh Jacobs. you got to ask yourself, is Josh Jacobs as good as Jonathan Taylor? That's debatable, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. But then you, if if you if you're the Raiders, and let's say let's say uh, John, uh, Josh's agent comes to knocking on Tom Telesco's door and say we want that deal, basically, the first thing the Raiders are going to point to is okay, how many games did Jonathan Taylor play in 2022? Yeah, was he was coming off a season just of, 11. Yeah, how many games did he play this year after signing the extension? Uh, he only started seven, but played ten. So now you're getting like half of the games played, right? So <laughs> which know? is always the risk. And also the attempts, you know, that big year, just like Josh, Taylor had 330 rushing attempts. Yeah. Josh had about 350, 360. Yeah. And the last two years for Jonathan Taylor, those are like 350 attempts combined over the last two years. So he's he's not on the field. And when he is on the field, the attempts are still down. Right. So um, that would be the Raiders argument for, first of all, we're not, we're not, um, I would think anyway, we're not, we're not. Uh, comfortable giving you $13 million. We're not get comfortable giving you $27 million over the next two years. Right. Um, we're going to have to talk about that. You know, because the plan is not to run anybody 350, 360 times, right? Is that is that an assumption we're willing to make? Because that's just how how outstanding that year was that's for him was question. also an outstanding <laughs> circumstance that mm-hmm. probably is unlikely to be replicated. Like you don't want to spend your running back that much because there's such a a recapture uh, penalty physically. At yeah. least that, that that's what we've well the two seen running so backs far. that did run that much right. Uh, uh, there were some, I wouldn't say consequences, but maybe some repercussions. That, exactly that. That's what I mean. There's a yeah. physical Who knows? Re- recapture. I don't, I can't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know that that was the direct. Right. But you can, it's not right. hard to like, oh, oh And so hmm. like, what's the number of carries? Like, what's the healthy number of carries that you're looking for in this offensive system? Because that also reflects how big of a, a piece of the puzzle you are. And that should probably dictate some of the value. Yeah, right? I would have to think like maybe 250 attempts is about your your average that you'd kind of want, maybe 230, 250. That gets you maybe around 1,200 yards but rushing. Th- I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. And that's continuing Josh Jacobs being ma- the main answer, right? right? For Cause, sure. Because yeah, that's where it's course. like we have to think about there's going to be, I hope, a reimagination to get Zamir White out there, even if Josh Jacobs is indeed on well, this team. And Josh a, Jacobs could also catch 50 balls a, a season, there too. There you go. Here, and and to, to your point of you know uh, lowering the amount of um, carries, if you're the Raiders and you know that, like, let's just say, you know, and I think you had an idea of what you would guarantee him. Right. Well, I would, I, I would just... But if it's eight mil per season, right? Then it's maybe like five or six. I don't know. I just assume like the eight was the part of the. I think. The, the I number. think. I think where you were headed was uh, you, you. You structure it the same way as a Jonathan Taylor contract, but instead of twenty million dollars over those first couple of years, it would be sixteen million dollars. Mm. Sure. Okay. That's fine. And then a third year to make it maybe twenty five. You know, uh, so so so, and maybe you guarantee just like Taylor's, you guarantee um, that that it would be what 26, 2024, 24, yeah, the twenty twenty six contract, half of the twenty twenty six contract would then become guaranteed this time next year, March of next year, right? Kind of do you if you structure it exactly the way Taylor's uh, contract is structured. Now, if you do do that, 
and let's say those were roughly the numbers, to you guys' point about the carries, if you're the Raiders, now you're like, okay, we're, we're basically on the hook now for this amount of money. We need to, we need to make sure that this thing, that he's here for us to, to, to give us those, the, mm-hmm. the equivalent production numbers. Do you run him into the ground on 350 carries, or do you kind of lighten that up a little bit so that you get the longevity of him rather than just play it one year where you're going to, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like and, you, and, you have to play the long game with that. Right, and in Jacob's case, for that amazing year that he had, he was pretty much the only weapon you had on the field for offense. Right, you know, he and Devontae. Yeah, he and Devontae, but uh, Jacobs was such a, a dominant force, it's almost like if you don't continue to give him the rock, then you're not doing anything on offense that's productive at all. So, And, and Taylor's case, too. I mean, the 1,800 yards came in a, in a position where – they were trying to move the ball with whatever right. they could in an old veteran quarterback that was having a hard time getting the ball down the well, field. And, and then there's the other thing for me, too, and, and it's it's about pecking order, right? And there's a lot of big names on this team. And my thing is is that sometimes we, we get focused on getting certain people going versus the overall offense. And it, when bringing Josh back at whatever number is automatically, in my mind, going to stifle that diversity – I think you can you can figure out a way to do it, but then there's always going to be a little bit more of a, of a prioritization, right? There's always going to be, well, we're going to put Josh out there. And I think when you, Devontae, Josh, mm-hmm. Jacoby, we got to get Trey Tucker in there. We got to get yeah. Michael Mayer in there. And so it's just, I, I wonder sometimes how they're going to get everybody involved. Get more where they plays. Can, you can, exactly <laughs> you remember that. we were talking about that last exactly year? Exactly that. More snaps, more everything. And, but that's what I'm and saying. And part of is, that is Josh doing well in the run game. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's, he's supposed to be the key that opens up a lot of the things that make this offense go. And so I just, I'm very apprehensive about that and what his talent commands in terms of that prioritization because sometimes there's too many priorities that things start falling down. Yeah, and, you're and right. And like getting Devontae the ball that year where Josh exploded, they they, had a, they were so inefficient getting Devontae the ball when he had 180 targets or something like that. Yeah. Right. And that, that was that. It, that wasn't working, you no. know. But it seems like this offense now is more styled, especially if they continue with the West Coast philosophy, that they can stay on the field longer you and would, get more looks hopefully. to everybody. They have to, right? Yeah. They, Otherwise, they really it literally have doesn't to. work. It doesn't matter. The, the flip side of all of this is, okay, um, do you just politely tell Josh, like maybe you, maybe that's the $8 million model, kind of following the, the structure of a, of a Jonathan Taylor uh, that's it. You don't go any more than that, and you tell. And if and if Josh that doesn't you know appease Josh, and he has every right to say no to that, then you tell him, go to the open market, mm-hmm. um, see if you could get something better. You know, hey, give us a call. It's there's no guarantee that he's going to give you the call to to match it, but you know, you know, we want you, and 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 if doors you, open, the doors open for us to maybe you know uh, match it. Um, do you do that? Yeah, and then. He, Here's the risk for Josh Jacobs. That might not even be out there for him. Correct. And if you say no now and then you circle back maybe a few days later, is that deal going to still be there then too? Because like open door doesn't always mean open door to the same piece of paper and either. This is negotiations. I know Correct. we want to think that it's all kumbaya and everything, like that, but it's negotiations. People are going to fight for their, you know, it's not, and it's not about the money. It's about how you disperse the money. So it's not like Mark Davis is going to be pocketing, you know, if, if that if that deal goes down by two million dollars, mm-hmm. it's not like he's oh gosh, I just saved him two million. It's two million dollars to put to someplace else, you know. That's that's how you would be, be be looking at it. So number one, is that even out there for him? That's a risk for Josh Jacobs. But the other part of it is, or do you just say, 
in the back of your mind, we're not going to match if he does go out there because maybe the maybe the thinking is you got Zamir White. Right. Feel like he's ready to go at nine hundred eighty-five thousand dollars. We can then use that. You're saying eight million dollars a year. Let's you could t- then take the seven million, the eight million dollars that you're going to pay Josh Jacobs this year, and go get yourself a, a, a you know go fix your offensive line, go help fix your offensive line, or whatever position it is that it, it would free up that amount of money. Let's just say sixteen million dollars in cash for the next two years to go address another position. All right, and let's get into a, a break here real quick uh, because we also have a you know another part of this uh, story, and it's what. Antonio Pierce has said <laughs> uh, about Josh Jacobs when the season was on and even towards the end of the season and the press conferences and how he values Josh Jacobs. How does that linger into the equation? We'll get into that on the other side. Lindsey, Vinny, and Clay on Raider Nation Radio. Into the 10, 5, touchdown Raiders! Josh Jacobs burst through the hole and sprinted 63 yards for his longest play of the season. Told you when I got here at the beginning of the year, he's the heartbeat of this team, heart and soul of this team. I mean, our personality and the way we play and our style of play matches with Josh Jacobs. So, you know, obviously those conversations don't come up as we go forward, but um, it was a pleasure to work with Josh. Um, I hope things work out. Um, that's going to be something we got to discuss further. Raiders Radio Network. Okay, right there. I mean, he is the heart and soul of the team, right? Mm-hmm. The little things that Antonio Pierce said, I don't think they're just little. Told you when I got here at the beginning of the year. That's he's the heartbeat of this team, heart and soul of this team. I mean, our personality and the way we play and our style of play matches with Josh Jacobs. So, and he said that when he was the interim, he's not the interim anymore as head coach. If that's a philosophy, I'd have to think if Josh was looking for somebody in his corner, he's found one in the head coach just by the words that he says. Yeah, and two things to remember number one, he also said. That'll have to. We'll see how that all works out. Antonio Pierce has been a player. He's moved from team to team in his career, probably because of you know maybe a contract offer that wasn't suitable. He's he's, he's he knows that oh, understands knows. that game, yeah. and he's like so. He said he 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 fought, he felt he stopped short of saying he's for sure coming back, and I'm going to make sure that we'll see how that all works out. That's a conversation to have as we move move forward, and and so, I, I, and you also have to understand like. Telesco is a part of this as well. And what I do know of Tom Telesco, talking to people that have worked with him, groomed him, you know, uh, uh, helped helped uh, develop him, he's the type of guy that, you know, let's just say Coach A or Coach B comes running into his office. We got to keep this guy. Blah, 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 you know, and, and, and you know, just, just pounds the table for a particular player. Maybe it's the offensive line coach. Maybe it's the defensive coordinator, whoever it might be. Tom's going to allow you to – Say it however you want. He's going to be respectful of it, and um, he's going to let you get it off your chest and explain why he's going to. He's 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 wired that way. He's a very even keeled kind of a kind of an executive, and if he disagrees, he's then going to articulate it and explain it in a very respectful way. Of hear what you're saying, totally understand. This is why we're probably going to go in a different direction and and deliver that message in a way that is typically going to be, oh, okay, I got it. I understand. I understand why. You know? And so as much as I know that Antonio Pierce wants, um, wants, wants Josh Jacobs back, and I'm sure Tom Telesco does too fr- from a purely talent standpoint, mm-hmm. but there are other considerations to make that the general manager always has to look at way more than the coach. Mitch Kupchak used to always tell me with Phil Jackson, the, Mitch was the GM of the Lakers, Phil was the coach, 
Phil looks at things five minutes, five days down the road. That's the extent almost of his vision for his team. And, and that's how he has to be wired. I have to look at it from five minutes, five days, five weeks, five months, five years sometimes mm-hmm. down the line. It's a different lens that you have to look at it through. And so, but the point being, I think Tom is somebody, not that I think, I know Tom is somebody that's going to let you talk and make your case. But if he, if, he, if he differs from that and if he feels like that's not the right move, he's going to explain it right back to you in a very respectful way. Well, this is one organization, one love. I understand that. But there is a necessity within every single hierarchy for a separation of faith and state. And when it comes to this team, I would expect my head coach to be the biggest advocate for the players. I think that's the right thing to do. I think if you're a coach, you're always singing your players' praises unless it's a tool to get something else. You know what I mean? And this time of the year— Or get rid of this guy. (laughs) This time of the year, I I think it's important to put up certain fronts as well. And you can set traps for people. You can put people down on on a certain trail, but there's— when it comes to being an advocate on the side of the players, you need the players to feel that their head coach is in their corner when he goes into the office with Telesco. Like, you have to have somebody that's in your corner to advocate for the here and now because there are people with long-term vision. I know that there's that there's other pieces we can bring in. We're always looking to improve so anybody can lose anything. But there has to be that perception that I directly care about you because I'm your direct superior. Right here. I know Telesco is too, but it's different general no, it's manager a different, yeah. versus coach. And so I, I would expect that. And that's a dynamic that I think is is a healthy thing to have that you know, separation. When, when you were saying that, and I absolutely agree, but it also goes the other way more often than people not, uh, uh, think. And by that I say John Gruden was notorious for falling in love and out of love with players. Larry Brown, the, the former basketball coach, and, and these guys, they're not necessarily outliers. There's a lot of coaches that just fall out of love with somebody and go barge it into the general manager's office. Their general managers have worked with Larry Brown and, and, and John Gruden have talked about long conversations of talking them off the ledge on why, no, we cannot just get rid of the quarterback right now or whoever it might be. And so as much as you're talking about the advocate for a player and the counsel and the, and the, and the sort of the level-headedness of your general manager – to listen to that and and heed it in in the support, but also when he comes in here, get rid of this guy. I know, but it's the perception no, no. of everybody else. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. The front. No, no, I, I get that part of it, but the but but um and and yeah, he's he's definitely going to bat outwardly for Josh Jacobs, and I'm sure Josh Jacobs appreciates that. But it's kind of interesting that it kind of it does uh, you know go both ways in that regard. And a lot of times, a level-headed general manager is the guy that's going to talk the emotional coach. One way or another, whether it's for or against, sometimes to say, hey, let's hear you, but this is why we need to go in, in, in this kind of a direction. But I agree with you in, in this particular case, his advocating for Josh Jacobs definitely uh, is A, warranted, but B, if something should happen where he's not here and Josh calls Antonio Pierce, Antonio's like, hey, I fought for you, but at the end of the day, the general manager has the final say, the organization has the final say. I you know wish it would have worked out, but it didn't. And quickly, Tom Telesco's uh, last time that he resigned and worked on a contract for a running back was Austin Eckler, right? And um, and and that one was was not the you know it wasn't like he had too much other to work with. Like it wasn't like he was out shopping for other running backs or they were out drafting other running backs. What was that contract? With, it was with, four with years, twenty four million dollars. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it got to the point last year, going into the last year of that contract, uh, uh, it was $6.5 million that he was owed going into last year. And he basically said, trade me. I'm not going to play under those terms. And, and Telesco kind of held firm and said, we're not trading you, number one. It's like a take it or leave it attitude. <laughs> well, what I'm kind of saying. Yeah, what, what they ultimately did was they, they put an amendment on the deal to add $1.25 million in incentives, reachable incentives. Yeah. So he ended up getting paid almost $8 million. I think $8 million is how it all sort of you know, came out in the wash or something close to that by, by meeting those incentives. So, but the, 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 the fact of the matter is the, the more important thing is he didn't blink. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, we're not tearing it up and giving you a big, huge contract. Uh, we'll go to this length and give you the $1.25 million uh, in reachable incentives, but that's as far as we're going to go. And now the ball is in your court, whether you want to play, whether you want to sit out, and it all ended up working out. <laughs> the magic number eight. Uh, let's get <laughs> yeah. into this with Harry Ruiz. He joins us next on the other side of the Raiders' Spanish play-by-play voice and with Raiders.com slash Espanol. We'll talk about Josh Jacobs. We'll talk about free agency, the draft, and more, and Dodgers with Harry. He's next.